0: Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Dose Nation, Episode 2. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm your host, Jake Kettle. My co-host joining me, of course, James Kent. You can join, you can, uh, join our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash dosenation, and you can uh, check out our website at dosenation.com. The podcast will be there. James, how are you this evening?
1: I am good. I am excited about the uh, news of 2012. There's a lot of interesting stories to talk about.
0: Yeah, we're going to be doing the best and the worst of 2012 in uh in uh drug news actually today. Let's actually get to the list that you sent me because I thought that there was a lot of great stuff on there that we could talk about. And we're going to start out with the worst because I think that that's uh, you know, there there, there needs yeah, to be Yeah.
1: Let's get the bad news out of the way first.
0: Yeah, and I want to and I also want to give people kind of, you know, a few cautionary tales of course as well. So, the 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 first thing to, to come out of the worst is that new research chemi- uh, chemicals have hit the underground market, and it and you mentioned in the show notes that weird street names have been invented and it drives the popularity of it, and they overdose on these substances, uh, which have names like Smile and Rafflecopter, which I thought were 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 interesting names, and um, and you hear it all the time, kids, you know, um overdose on these different kinds of, uh, uh, of research chemicals. They go to the hospital, and then it becomes illegal. But all this stuff beforehand is legal, of course, and they're ordering it from from a variety of different places. Some of it are actually coming from China, I think, right? Well, there's a,
1: there's a variety of different uh, industrial suppliers worldwide, but I think China is the main one. Probably India is number two, and then South and Central America But, yes, these are gray market chemicals, which are, quote, unquote, designer drugs based on um, drugs that we already know, but maybe slightly modified or a little bit uh, tweaked here here and there. And then um, they're tested and found to be psychoactive so that they're released in the underground. And really, um, they're tested on humans before they're even tested on rats, because this, of course, is the underground market. And so the kids who, or the kids, the teenagers, the young adults who buy these drugs online, they come into contact with these drugs, um, they're not really sure how much they should be taking, what the proper dose is. Um, It's very sort of experimental. And if you experiment safely, then you can probably get away with having a decent time but if you if you're if you're not responsible and you're not sure what you're taking and you take a little bit too much bad things can happen and when you have drugs named in the underground by an overzealous media looking for the next new hype those drugs then become the in-demand drugs for kids even though they may have a very very limited street use um and nobody really knows what happens if you take too much until somebody accidentally <laughs> takes too much so so kids are like the uh they're like the human guinea pigs for these research chemicals and um, right
0: you know see uh, th- the issue though is that these things are being peddled around i mean it's not even as if some people are taking these 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 chemicals in with the full knowledge that this is what they're taking. Some of them are taking it and they're under the impression that what they're actually taking is LSD or what they're actually taking is ecstasy or what they're actually taking is something else. Um, because, you know, like like all the NBOM compounds are commonly used, you know, or commonly put on blotter paper and sold as LSD to unknowing customers who then think, well, you know, LSD, the people have been using this for 70 years or whatever, you know, okay, I can take three or four of these, and they end up taking three or four of them, which, you know, according to the dosage of that chemical is a little too much, and they have a problem.
1: Well, yeah, you talk about the EMBO, and those are the, um, those are the confirmationally restricted um, chemicals that, like Dave Nichols, produced, or is that the one that you're talking about? Well, yeah, That's the, being sold as, as LSD. Yeah, th- I mean, th- they, those
0: are the most common that are used. Uh, that you know, that are, that are sold as yeah, LSD. And for to my people knowledge.
1: who don't know the chemistry, these are very, very potent psychoactive chemicals um, that have effects similar to to LSD in very, very small doses. Um, and um, the uh, chemicals, the other chemicals that we're talking about, Smiles was dubbed in the media was, is actually 2CI which is a designer phenethylamine created by Alexander Shulgin um, which is a, a you know a psychostimulant like MDMA or 2CB or any one of the 2C line it's been around for many years but only recently did it become popular and only recently did you have instances where people started overdosing and dying on these are you saying it's it showing up in the newspapers
0: are you saying 2CE or 2CI Two c i okay yeah now two c i has been around for a long time. I remember people who were uh you know in, involved in the scene back in i think you know you know many years ago who who talked about that stuff but um you know awful copter
1: is um we looked it up earlier today Hamilton Morris has been doing most hamilton Morris at vice mag vice magazine has been doing most of the writing and most of the research on this, and you should follow his work advice but um he he did a really pretty good piece on the whole Rafflecopter. Uh, what is
0: Rafflecopter?
1: Um, you're looking it up right now.
0: Oh, well, well, I I am. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, we we talked about it earlier. Uh, Mephoxetamine. That's what it's called. Yeah, Mx. Mephoxetamine. Yeah, Mketamine. M- yeah, so M-ket, yeah. Yes. So uh,
1: it's 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 funny how these drugs are completely obscure and mysterious until. One article in an underground magazine like Mix Mag comes out and says this is the new latest craze.
0: Now what and is meth methoxetamine? Is that some kind of offshoot of ketamine?
1: I think it's a designer yeah, it's a designer substitute of, of ketamine. Um, I don't I don't really want to say too much because I haven't really researched it that much.
0: Um, neither have i i mean i've heard of amazed, it
1: it's, it's it's in the last few years the number of new research chemicals that come out has been so staggeringly large it's hard to keep up between methadrone and methoxetamine yeah. and <laughs> oh yeah um, methyl deoxyprophylarone mdpv and um,
0: i mean there's so much out there that 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 we just have no information and no research on other than, you know, trip reports on Arrowwood. And I think that if it wasn't for Arrowwood, people would have no education about this. Or if it wasn't for people like Hamilton Morris, people would know nothing about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's staggering. It's staggering how little information is out there considering how how much of an actual street market there is.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the, the, the popularity of these are growing by leaps and bounds. And not only that, but it's not like you have to look far get these either you can get them on the internet um, they, you know it's, it's I think they, they make them in places like China they make huge vats of this stuff in China Chinese factories don't they that was, something uh, I yeah, was Hamil- that was actually
1: Hamilton Morris who went and visited the factories where they were, they were making these chemicals just like industrial chemical like they were just making industrial solvents or industrial salts
0: right and they were making it these huge vats and sending it out to the states and like kids are taking this stuff yeah, which is which is not only unhealthy, but it's but it's unbelievably uh, unethical too. Um,
1: well, the same thing. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, the same thing happened with spice and the K two and the JWH. Compound. The spice was it
0: was a was a big problem though because you see, see, here is the thing: marijuana is a lot different. I think than a lot of the other psych, psychoactive or psychedelic compounds because people view mar- marijuana is viewed with less of a stigma than something like LSD or something like uh, MDMA or or something like that. So when it, when, it, when it comes to something like spice that comes out, that got even bigger. I mean, you know, everybody and their mother was smoking spice when it was legal for a, for, for a short period of time. Because, you know, less stigma attached to marijuana. Well, this is just legal. This is almost like a legal synthetic marijuana.
1: Right. But then people smoke too much and they and, become dependent on it. And they were they getting, get, like, brain get damage sick.
0: and all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff was going on where people were, were I the, you know, losing their faculties because they were smoking too much spice and then it became illegal. But now there's also a street market for that.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. You have a designer substitute that's worse than the original, which then becomes illegal and creates an underground market for the designer substitute.
0: Right. And it's so, 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 and so in some way in, in some finite way we we're, we're actually <laughs> making, making the drugs worse as we get, as we go along
1: well, every once in a while you find a good one in the batch, but it's been a really long time since I've had a research chemical that I was, that I was felt was worth trying twice.
0: Right, or, me or I mean, that yeah. th- th- was even worth trying once, for that matter. I mean, most. Well, was, you know, you don't have no idea
1: what it does until you try it once, and then right. you go, oh, okay. And for the most you part, it, you know, yeah,
0: if you do enough of
1: them and you look at the chemical shape and you know what that class of drugs do does, you can go, oh yeah, two CI, two CB, two CE. You st- you start to understand the two C line all has the same kind of feel to them. Uh, you don't really need to do that many more um, to realize that you're not going to get another you know crazy sensation or a new sensation out of that class of drugs so i think i think there is a a limit to how many research chemicals you want on the market and can be put on the market but let's move to uh let's put move to the the second story that we have here which is i think is crazy
0: sure which is the bath salts one is that what you're talking about
1: yeah the bath salts and the yeah. uh, face-eating, the face eating zombies. That
0: was just way too much. Um, when I was when I first read about that, I, 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 I just thought to myself, n- number one, whoever thought it was a good idea to go to bed bath and beyond find these bath salts and say, hmm, maybe I should crush it up and snort it.
1: Wait. No no, you need to wait because this, is, this this story is bad on so many levels. Oh first okay, so, all, so it's
0: even worse than I thought it was.
1: First of all, the guy who was eating the other guy's face, was not even on bath salts.
0: Oh, God.
1: So the whole story was kind of made up. And you can you can follow the... Um, Slate has a good article and Salon has a good article that came out in the last uh, week or two, um, both going back to the same article on Fix.com about how the whole thing about this guy being on bath salts was sort of manufactured after the fact. It was just a, sort of an assumption that was made that he was on bath salts, but the autopsy didn't actually show any, any results of bath salts. Um, he, uh, he So the first thing, is, and the other thing, is that the bath salts, people get confused. It's not the bath salts that they sell at Bed Bath & Beyond. Those are legitimate bath salts. These are... Uh, uh, designer chemicals, designer stimulants, sold in head shops in little plastic bags called bath salts, saying you know not for human ingestion. It's not something that you would buy at Bed Bath and Beyond and 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 take. It's something that's sold. Well, you have to apologize. You'll have to excuse
0: my ignorance on that on that one. That I'm. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I, you know, and you know, a lot of people get confused about this. I hear when people report it on on the news or even on late, late night TV shows. <laughs> Uh, they often get confused and think that they're actually people are actually taking bath salts. They're not. It's quote unquote bath salts. They're sold under <laughs> the name bath salts, and not for human consumption. But that's not what they are. They're just like there was, um, you know, it's it's like a they, it's it was sold as lawn fertilizer for a while, methadone or something similar to that. Um. So yeah. The, the first of all, bath salts are not that dangerous, but there have been some incidents where bath salts caused overdoses and deaths, or were implicated in overdoses or deaths, or people who had been up on them for three days in a row had psychotic freakouts and wound up, you know, being hospitalized because they were up too long and uh, for many days. So Bath salts one are dangerous but they're not as dangerous as the media says they are and this guy who ate the other guy's face probably wasn't even on bath salts and that was that was kind of the event that threw bath salts into into the the public eye and you know for the record bath salts can be a variety of things they can be methadrone they can be MDPV they can be um um, you know, any kind of designer stimulant. that doesn't really have to be uh, a single drug in bath salts.
0: Well, I mean, if you're hyped up for three days on an on an exotic stimulant, um, I mean, a lot of things could happen, you know. But
1: right, and it's an unregulated over-the-counter market for stimulants.
0: So, I mean. I don't know. Personally, why? See, see, see I never understood the, the idea of people who people want to get hopped up, you know, they want to take these stimulants and go crazy and get these, you know, jolts of energy. I mean, that would be the last thing I would want to do. You know, I I, I don't even see the attraction in it personally. But then again, you know,
1: well, um, you you may be a naturally manic person.
0: Yeah, but I mean but I mean even even that I am naturally manic, I don't I mean I don't know why would so, someone would want to induce a state of mania like that.
1: Well, why would somebody want to eat mushrooms and induce a state of uh, delirium?
0: Well, is it a state of delirium? I mean it's a, it's a uh, it is a state of mind expansion.
1: Well, so bath salts may be a state of mind
0: expansion for, for some. So yeah,
1: they they're, they're really more I mean they're sort of a little bit like a mild ecstasy, a little bit like a um, an intactogen. Or, um, you know, it's not really like doing meth or, um, you know, speed or Adderall. It's a little bit more touchy-feely than that, but not yeah. as touchy-feely as something like MDMA or ecstasy. And
0: again, uh, you know, bath salts, uh, it's 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 not – this is not something I've done a whole lot of research on. So oh, yeah, I'm, talk-
1: I'm talking specifically about methadrone. Yeah, So if methadrone. you're taking methadrone or meow-meow as the press – Calls it. Meow meow. Um, is,
0: is that the uh, street name or, or what they're calling it?
1: I, no, that's not the street name. That's what they call it in the press, and they ah. say that's the street name, but that's meow just meow. what the press calls it for good headlines.
0: Right, right. Yeah, some so, some guy on the telephone in a dark alleyway. Hey man, I need some. I need some meow meow, man.
1: No, uh, I don't got any meow meow. I got the raffle copter. Yeah, I
0: don't have any meow meow. I got the raffle copter. I got the raffle copter and I got the smiles, but I don't have the meow meow, man. It's, just, it's Yeah, it's, it's exactly. absurd. It's funny though. It's, so it's, it's, it's
1: so said. so the, the 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 ongoing theme in this bad drug news uh list is that the media often gets it wrong. And the media often is 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 really making the making the problem worse in in trying to illuminate uh what's going on. Because they get it wrong, because they make it worse, and because they hype it with some dumb name,
0: right? Like 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 meow meow. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but those names just 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 kill me. Uh, but uh... oh yeah,
1: MDPV. I guess it's it's also called whack. WAC. Yeah, and it was in uh, the Ivory Wave bath salts. There was like there's different flavors of bath salts, and the, you you get them you get the ivory wave you know you're getting and there there are flavors instead of, of meth methadrone well yes apparently or
0: brands okay well, well 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 a brand is different than a flavor if it's a flavor i i because I, I was always under the impression that you actually put the salts in the bath and then you sat in the bath and
1: no you crush them up and snort them <laughs>
0: <laughs> is, it, uh, is that the real intended purpose of the bath salts you They're know.
1: not actual
0: bath salts. No, no no, no no no, no 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 no. I I know. I, I'm I'm I, I'm you, making you're a joke. Teasing me now? I, no, 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 no. Yeah, now I'm just teasing you. I'm not I'm not being serious. Well yeah, this happened
1: with the K two market too. People started uh branding spice all different flavors and saying that this flavor of spice was proprietary and, you know, this flavor of K two was pro- proprietary, and you can't copy the name and sell your brand under our name and it just became really silly. And now Spice and K2 and I think basalts, salts—they're all banned now. I think there's like an emergency federal ban on them. I'm not sure. I need to look that up, but I think that. But I, I was
0: the, I was reading that the, that the spice that you were you know that we were talking about earlier—that stuff really is very bad for your brain. It's 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 really not good.
1: I think it's because you can just take in so yeah. much. You can take in it's so potent. It's not like smoking marijuana or weed where you're very limited in the amount that you get. It's, well, you're getting massive, massive amounts in one single hit. So it's it's a more right, more you know, compact and it's easier to it's easier to become uh, dependent on it if you're taking it in those huge doses.
0: Right, because I mean, you know, a guy can sit there and smoke a quarter and you know quarter of marijuana and pass out, but you know, but it would you know, whereas that's you know, that's comparable to something like two hits of this, you know, of, of whatever K two or whatever else you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and especially if you're smoking it in higher and higher concentrations. So let's, as long as we're talking about addiction and dependency, let's move on to our next one.
0: Oxycodone and prescription opiate addiction and overdose. Yeah, this has been a big one, and this is a really big problem. Um, and I, and I believe it or not, I don't have personal experience with it that I, I mean, you know, I am not personally an, uh, an opiate addict. But, I, you know, I've had uh, many people who I've worked with and who have been friends who who have had issues with this. And this is a really, really serious problem. Heroin, there's a certain stigma that is associated with being a heroin addict, and there's, and there's all kinds of stuff that comes along with it. But when it comes to a pharmaceutical, it comes packaged in this nice little white pill, and you can kind of hide it. There's no needle marks. There's no, there's no uh, spoon. There's no, you know, you're not, you're not, it's just easy. Glass of yeah, water and it's, a pill.
1: It's easy. Think, the way I like to describe it is it's deceptive and it's pernicious. because It's deceptive in how easy it is to get and how and how nice it makes you feel and how easy it is to just take a little pill there is no stigma attached to it and it's pernicious in the fact that you become dependent in a matter of a in a matter of a week if you're taking it a few times a day and usually the doctor that prescribes it to you doesn't really discuss all the dependency and withdrawal issues so it no. becomes a self-fulfilling cycle and that's the that's the pernicious part of it when people who aren't educated enough to figure out that they're Getting a dependency, and it's not that the pain is worse, and they need more. It's the pain of the withdrawal is making them crave more. They don't, they don't have that level of cognition to realize what's happening to them, and suddenly they're they're a full blown junkie.
0: The other thing is that eventually, um, uh, and, I, and I and I and I've seen a few cases of this just around where I live. People eventually, things like oxycodone become too expensive, and heroin is less expensive. So you know. How can- how can heroin be less expensive than oxycodone? Well, you know, you go you go to the street and you get a certain, uh, you know, you can get bang for your buck. If you're doing, I mean, heroin, you know, it, it's a stronger concentration. So if you buy a small bag of heroin and you inject that, it's going to get somebody with an oxycodone addiction through. And then they, you know, it goes from there. Well, I can't afford the oxycodone, well, but for six agree. bucks... But for six bucks, I can get a little bag of heroin that'll last me, you know, two or three hits or whatever, you know, it is that I need to get through my oxycodone day.
1: That's what I mean by move, moving from being in a dependency state to full-blown junkie. Right, you, because... You're just looking anywhere to find the high.
0: Right, because you need, because you, because you have an opiate addiction. It, it becomes more than just, well, I'm addicted to painkillers, I'm addicted to opiates now. And, that, and heroin, if it's cheaper, will fulfill that, and for some people, that's where they end up. Yeah, and it becomes
1: epidemic in some communities, especially in this in the uh, southeast, in Florida and Georgia. The, the pill mills and the pharmacies are just kind of like uh, churn out prescriptions for pain management medication, and it just it becomes an underground market, and people just start doing it because it's available. And not only that, it becomes like a form of trade. People just <laughs> trade in pills.
0: You know what's and, so uh, You know what's so interesting is that is that around here we have neighborhood pharmacies. Not not like a CVS and you know an independently owned business. They um, they were broken into. the The alarm went off at something like two o'clock in the morning. They went in there and guess what? All the painkillers were gone. Somebody it's bro- very common. Somebody broke in and stole all of them. It's awful because I you know you know I knew the owner. I mean this guy's not out to uh, to, to, to you know hurt anybody or or uh, distribute narcotics you know illegally. But you know his store gets broken into and. They rob all these all, all these narcotics, and now they're floating around on the street, and it happens all the time.
1: Yeah, it's it's common. Um, those brazen daylight robberies for prescription painkillers—they're a plague in almost almost every community. Uh, this is an American problem. Um, we've got medicine cabinets overflowing with prescription opiates. It's well, crazy. just don't—I mean, just be wary. I have—I've had prescriptions for opiates before, and. Uh, you just have to know that when you're done with the pain management for a couple of weeks, you're going to have a rough patch, a few days on the back end of it where you're going to withdraw, and you just need you just need to knuckle down and go through it because otherwise being strung out is way worse than being in withdrawal for a few days.
0: Well, that's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, being in withdrawal is not fun. I had a friend who had to go away to uh to a rehabilitation center in Florida for 30 days, unfortunately the rehabilitation program didn't work. Because, again, it's easily available, and, uh, you know, if you're around the same people that are that, that were giving it to you in the first place, it, it can I easily... See.
1: Well, yeah, if, if you're in it as a, as a lifestyle, then it becomes much harder.
0: Right. Because Then if,
1: then if you're just, say, I'm, I'm talking more about normal everyday people who, you know, get a broken leg or they get a hip injury or something like that, and their doctor gives them a prescription for oxycodone, and a month later, they're an addict, and they're hunting around. They're prescription hunting. And then the younger people around them see what see, are, going to, are going to have access to those drugs because you're always going to have, if you're an opiate addict, you're always going to have a pill of, a bottle of pills around.
0: Right, because you need so, them.
1: So everybody around you is going to have access to those pills, those going, and is going to eventually try those pills and see what they do. So it, it, it actually is contagious in some way.
0: Yeah, I mean really, I think if people were more educated in the fact that look, if you take these, you can become dependent on them and that there is a certain point in time where it's no longer the pain of your injury but it's the pain of withdrawal. You also have the issue of 30 years down the road when these when when, you know, people's kidneys start to shut down because they've abused these these prescriptions for so long and now they don't have the money to pay for it and you can't just let them die.
1: And the problem is a lot of people, normal everyday people do not have the money to go to rehab right and be be out of it for 28 days or 30 days they just don't that's just not an option for them
0: and they also don't have the money in 10 or 15 years when, when their kidneys give out to have a transplant either but i mean the problem is being created by by the pharmaceutical companies in the first place and actually really not not necessarily
1: it's i mean it's a it's a it's a synergistic blend of pharmaceutical push Consumer demand, doctors getting, you know, a lot of business coming through their office. It's There's a lot of things right, to feed into it.
0: Right, But, uh, you know, I mean, and again, I think that, that in the long term there could be a problem with, you know, now the state has to deal with a lot of people who are sick because they abuse these kinds of medications. Um, and I know Yeah, there
1: needs to be state-run clinics where people can dry out. And there I needs, know it sounds
0: weird, but, be, you know, the average person, like you said, number one, cannot afford to go into a rehab – and number two, like I said, they can't afford for, for, for the medical ram, ra, ramifications that are going to be taking place down the road.
1: All right, so let's move on to the—we're we're going, going progressively worse here as the stories go on.
0: Yeah, which is actually kind of unfortunate. And then we'll get to the best for the last half hour, so you guys will get to hear good. some good news. Um, so yeah, an ayahuasca tourist uh, dies while tripping, and instead of informing the authorities, the shaman hides the body in a shallow grave. This was in Chimbre, Peru, you said.
1: Yeah, and this was a, a shaman by the name of um, Mon Caluto. and uh, he was sort of, a, you know, I had heard, I've never been down to Chimbra, I know many people who have, and I've heard stories of Moncoluto um, that he would give people really, really large doses of ayahuasca, and then send them off into the jungle in the dark by themselves, to, to trip out and that, find their way back. That doesn't sound safe. No, 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 and it's that's not, not a very
0: common practice among shamans either. That, that I've never heard of any, no shaman that I know would do that.
1: Well, right. So really, it's you got to know your shaman. And um, so, unfortunately, what happened is a is a young man died uh, while while tripping, and he uh, he died alone. He was in his tent. I think he went back to his tent uh, while he was still high on on ayahuasca from the the, the session earlier in that evening, and they found him dead in the morning. And then nobody knows exactly why he died. Now speculation has run rampant. It could have been a bug bite. He could have asphyxiated. Uh, He could have been dehydrated. He uh, he could there could have been a number of uh, you know chemical interactions that may have caused uh, you know heart failure, stroke. But the uh, the really sad thing about this is that it was handled so poorly. The, the shaman did not take responsibility for what happened and instead tried to cover it up. And they didn't even figure out what had happened until his parents, until he didn't come home from the trip. And his parents wondered what, what was going on. And the authorities went to the property to look for him and he was, you know under some bushes somewhere in a shallow grave and it was very tragic and um, considering the amount of ayahuasca tourism the number of young people who are drawn to South America to specifically try the ayahuasca experience and have some sort of spiritual experience you would think that they were being put in good hands and with with some kind of safe oversight (laughs) but the reality is that the oversight is really solely on the ayahuasca tourist. The, the shaman really doesn't always know what's best for you. And that's you, you know need to, you need to be looking out for yourself when you're when you're on these kind of excursions.
0: I think that's number one. The other thing is that I really encourage people to find out who you're going to before you go there. What am I going to be taking? Um, because it's important yeah, that you know is,
1: these things. Yeah, this was a pretty respectable retreat, though, and this shaman had led I don't know hundreds, uh, you know, of sessions. So it's not like he wasn't—he didn't have any credibility. It's just that some people thought that his his tactics were uh, a little irresponsible. Yeah, but uh, but proves, no, 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 It was true. Uh, I mean, but see,
0: see, in my experience with with shamans who use ayahuasca, I've never have I heard of anything like sending someone out alone with no supervision. When someone becomes a shaman, they go into the jungle by themselves and they nurture the sensac and all that, at least in the schwa tradition. But I've never heard of anybody sending a white ayahuasca tourist out into the jungle by themselves, tri- tripping on ayahuasca. I, I, I've never heard of that before. This, 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 I mean, so that is that a, is that a common practice? Because from, I do not think so. Yeah. I mean, I really think that that's kind of a, number one. Not only is it totally irresponsible, the patient is never left alone. Right. You know,
1: and um, in this case, people I mean, I think people were just allowed to wander off and go back to their tents or, or do what they wanted. And he went back to his tent and that was the last he was seen alive. Well, at least that's the story. So there's a lot of hearsay and it's really it's really not clearly known. Um, I've been following this this uh, thread from Facebook Um Steve Byer has an ayahuasca page called uh, "Singing to the Plants." He is the author of "Singing to the Plants," and he's been following this story very closely. And Alan Shoemaker, who um, runs a lot runs a lot of the ayahuasca tours down there, and is familiar his first-hand knowledge with many of the shamans in Peru, um, also has been following the story very closely. So, from talking to um, you know a couple of people. Um, there really is no, I mean, they, they, they put you on pretty strange diets. Um, the, there may not always be clean water around or what you, what, what, what we would consider to be clean water. So people need to pay attention to, you know, what they're eating, how much water they're drinking, making sure that they're healthy and balanced while they're out there instead of just assuming that the shaman is always looking out for their best interest. Because this year had head there's been a rash of quote unquote bad shaman stories like shaman. There was one shaman who was making uh, inappropriate sexual advances at some of his younger female um, you know participants actually and, um... that
0: uh, happened at the Omega Institute uh, right here in the states uh, a couple of years ago. There was a shaman up there who, like every night, a different woman would come into his room and he would have sex with them and this and this went on for. For like you know the 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 entire duration of the stay, I had a friend who was up there, and uh, he was t- he knew one of the other uh, shamans who was working at this conference, and he was like you know, it's like this guy man, he's like every night, you know, somebody different going in his room.
1: Yeah, so you know, just because they're a shaman and they have a title and they do things doesn't mean that they're uh, living gods or perfect. That their living gods are perfect or beyond reproach. So
0: you know, just so be careful so let's get so actually let's get to the the last bad story, and then I want to get into the new because I think the last one is also really important to talk about Mexico's ongoing drug war makes entire areas no go demilitarized zones by run by ruthless drug gangs, twenty thousand people missing
1: oh yeah, over the last ten years
0: yeah so can i can I make a make a quick comment just going right head on in right here first sure. I don't agree with the drug war at all. I think that, that that all of that could have been prevented by 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 the legalization and regulation of drugs in the, uh, right here in in the United States. I think that we could uh, regulate the drugs in a, in a in a very safe way, uh, where the twenty where where there wouldn't be twenty thousand people missing in the Mexican border because there would be no profit to be made by the Mexican cartels.
1: Go ahead. So, yes. So w- when you think about it, um, th- the problems of drug addiction and drug abuse are really local problems. They affect your friend. They affect somebody in your family. They affect your coworker. They're very, they seem very local. But because drugs have been prohibited, it has become a global multinational problem. That is being being solved by these by these gangs, these black market networks of gangs that are, you know, have their own private militaries, and their own underground forms of currency, which are the drugs or the guns or, you know, cash. So, really, what we need to do, even though the state does not want to be quote unquote drug dealers or responsible for dealing drugs to the public. If the problem is local, the uh, local authorities really need to be the ones who are, are dealing with the problem and not the federal government and not, you know, um, the U.N. creating these global mandates on h- what drugs we should prohibit.
0: You're creating global mandates, but who's enforcing global <laughs> mandates? That's well, my biggest because question. Because they're
1: being enforced on this sort of global, like, like this, this global menace scale – it's like it's like it's like you when you have Superman, suddenly Lex Luthor appears, or when you have Batman, suddenly the Joker appears. Right. You have prohibition, and you have these these guys going in, you know, knocking in heads of anybody who's trying to, you know, be a two-bit bootlegger. You get Al Capone rising out of the ashes.
0: Right. Exactly. Because it was national prohibition, the federal government made a constitutional amendment to ban it, and who rose out of the ashes of that of that decision? Well. You had the you had you had the you had and you had the booze barons and uh, in the same way the, a global menace is going to create uh, or sorry a global ban is going to to a global prohibition is going to create in the in the same vein a global or a global exactly. level a global Al network
1: of black market drug
0: dealers right. and gun runners and it and it and it extends far past that I mean okay you know it goes into all, all of this is interconnected. You have drugs, guns, human trafficking, um, all of this stuff. I, I would say those are the major three. <clears throat> I think that the drug one can be solved very easily. I think,
1: and, and I think um, when we get to the good news, we can see that change, small change on a local level can really be a bellwether of, of change around the world. So right. we'll get to that on the, on, the, on the end of the good news.
0: Do you want to actually move right into the good news?
1: Uh, yeah, let's move into the good because news.
0: Because I, I want to brighten it up from human trafficking, gun gun <laughs> trafficking, and drug trafficking. Um, a new generation of chemists looking into new lines of designer psychoactive drugs. Uh, Alexander Shulgin's work is not the end of research into experimental psychedelic chemistry. It is the beginning. So let's talk a little bit about this. And I think this is interesting because Alexander Shulgin really, and Dave Nichols, and, and among others, did, did a lot of that. The, uh, of the early s- synthesis of, of a lot of different drugs, and I th- and I think that to, that there is a new generation of chemists who are very bright, who are now coming up and making new chemicals that can be used for all kinds of different things, you know. And I think it's th- that, that there is a positive side to the research chemical scene. There really is, because for every per- for, for for every big bad batch of crap, there are people like Sasha Shulgin who come up with good things like MDMA.
1: In addition to being a chemist, Sasha Shogun was also he's also a little bit of an artist. When you look at the chemical structures that he makes, he might he likes nice, clean, simple structures. He designs nice, clean looking chemicals. Um, he he everything he he built was based off of a simple phenethylamine ring or a simple indole rings with substitutions here and there. Um, and every once in a while, he'd make something like a bromo fly, which is a little bit whimsical. It looks a little bit like a fly because it's got two substitutions that are evenly matched on both sides and a little tail. So um, he he's uh, des- designing drugs or molecules is very much an art form. It's it's a form of design. And Alexander Shulgin was kind of in this very old school mindset where he said, well, I'm just going to take the phenethylene molecule, or I'm going to take the indolamine molecule, and I'm just going to add as many substitutions to these few uh, you know, rings as I can, and, and then you know, there's probably maybe 200 or 300 combinations that I can get out of that, and that's really just about as far as we can go. But no... You get Dave Nichols, who's building, you know, these conformationally restricted molecules with these really long tails. Um, He's not designing, you know, nice, clean little picture molecules. He's designing molecules that are robust and don't metabolize very quickly and have very high affinity to their receptors. And then you have other chemists in the underground who are designing molecules that are a little more whimsical, like maybe two molecules, two phenethylene molecules, slightly different but stuck together. And then they come apart and become two separate drugs, but they're taken as one. So there's, you know, a little bit more creativity and surrealism and um, weirdness being put into drug design. And all of the old classical models are basically um, Feichel and Teichel, or Pickall and Tickall, uh, Alexander Shulgin's work, and that research chemical scene is is gonna continue on, but there's gonna be, you know, a lot more stranger, weirder stuff coming out. Which is, you know, a good and a bad thing because who knows what we'll find.
0: Right. You know, when you know, moving into the future. I mean I mean as it gets weirder and weirder, there could be better things that, that could come out of it, but at the same time there could also be some very, very, very very bad things um that could come out of it. But let's um let me actually ask you, because, because you have, M- I'm looking at the show notes here, and you have methoxetamine here again, and I just want to read off to people this, uh, this, this chemical formula. 3-MeO2-OXO-PCE. And if that's not a yeah. mouthful, I don't know what is.
1: It's a cyclohexamine. Okay. Or cyclo aer- Aerocyclohexamine. Yeah, cyclohexamine. It's, uh, you know, like, like ketamine or PCP. But, um, but, you know, so PCP isn't enough anymore. They have three MEO PCP. You know, they're making designer PCP substitutions. Now, you know, a, so what Shulgin did with the phenethylamines and the indolamines, new lines of chemists are doing with different types of psychoactive drugs. They're making new crazy substitutions or, you know, making new hybrids. So it's it's... It's really going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few years because um, you know, people are looking at, at, at psychoactive chemistry in a, in, a, in a different way now. That some of the old psychedelic stigma is being is being brushed off, which takes us to our next
0: story. Yeah. Well, let me actually be uh, uh, before we go to yeah, our you next. Want to go back? Well, yeah. Well, before we go to our next story, I just want to let everybody know. Uh, I know that you made the email address, so I can just let everybody know in case they do have a question for us. If that's all right. Sure. Uh, if you have a question, since uh, we we are we are uh, you know doing all kinds of news today, you can send us one at questions at dosenation uh, dot com. That's questions at dosenation.com. We'll both get it live on the air. If you want to, uh, you know, if view, you if you're related questions or uh, comments things or like a that, or comment, or yeah. if you got something
1: wrong and yeah, you know.
0: and we screwed up and you think that we screwed up bad, go ahead and let us know. Uh, that's questions at dosenation.com, and that goes to both of us. So yeah, uh, if you guys have a question on the air let us know. We want to hear it. We want to hear what you have to say. Um so yeah, let's 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 also move to the article that you um th- that you wanted to before I interrupt you. Sorry. Follow-up studies indicate a s- small a single small dose of psilocybin can produce lasting positive mood changes for up to a year. This is an yeah. interesting one.
1: Yeah, and um, it's it's really the yeah the John Hopkins study is really uh, it's 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 proving to be worth its weight in gold because uh, what it's showing is that I think initially there was there was a lot of I don't know if it was naysaying or doubt or hemming and hawing about how small the doses these patients were given and basically what this what the study was is you know patients you know from from a variety of different uh, walks of life were given a very small dose of mushrooms and allowed to have, like, a two- or three-hour trip, you know, a very, very pleasant trip where they were, uh, they were, you know, given a little bit of programming saying that they were going to be going through a journey and they were going to, you know, be faced with some decisions and that they were going to come out with a new perspective and, you know, just a very kind of simple... Simple kind of expectation programming, and they gave them these doses, and the patient. Then they did follow up research to see if the patients had changes in mood, and many of them reported spiritual experiences, and not only spiritual experiences that were transient, but spiritual experiences that stuck with them and, and made them have a more positive outlook on life, and it made them worry less about you know money or or you know superficial things or quote unquote superficial things. Um, so and so the follow-up studies have shown that that these actually have a lasting impact. Of a single small dose can really have a lasting impact. And usually that impact is good as long as a programming and expectation is there. So the protocol is also very interesting that they that they use in these studies. Um, it's not, it's not like just, let's just give them some, some MD, let's look, just, just give them some mushrooms or some psilocybin and see what happens. They actually, you know, they kind of gave them a little bit of pre-trip suggestion that they were going to have kind of a little bit of an arduous and difficult journey, but at the end they would feel rewarded. And when they stuck to that script and that scenario, everybody did have the reward at the end and, and it seems to have lasted. So it just goes to show that 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 just even a small dose used in the right setting uh, can produce these really sort of lasting life changes.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's and it's commonly reported among users that I mean even even without the, the even without the coaching, just I mean, a lot of people tend to have these kind of prolific experiences where at the end their life is changed. Um,
1: but I want to stress out that this goes counter to a lot of what was said in the psychedelic underground in the, in the previous decades where they said heroic doses was the way to go, you know, heroic doses where your mind was lit up like a pinball machine and you were seeing, you know, the alien transmission from the galactic center. That was, you know, that was the trip that people wanted, but it turns out that, that maybe that trip is more traumatic and, and less positive than maybe, the small the single small dose exposure is.
0: Right. So, you know, I mean, would you say now now, now let me ask you a question. In your own ex, in in your own experiences, would you say that those smaller doses would be better for first time users in a, you know, to 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 make a life changing experience or are you or do you take more of the classical, you know, hero dose idea?
1: I think in terms of, in, of clinical therapy, for people who aren't really that familiar with this, with the experience, the low dose is definitely the way to go. I've had many low dose experiences that have been very pleasurable. Uh, I, I did tend to get into more high dose experimentation, especially when I was studying hallucination, because with some drugs, you just really have to take a large dose before you start to hallucinate. Um, but if, and if, if what you're looking for is a life-changing experience, you don't need to take a full-blown hallucinatory dose of a substance. You can just take a very mild dose of a substance and have a very enlightening spiritual positive reaction even without having this, the super insane visuals or the crazy gibberish riddles that you hear in your head on high doses.
0: Right. So, you know, again, the hero dose is not for everyone. Um, And the other thing is that um, there was the study with with MDMA and PTSD, uh, the Renaissance. Oh, yeah,
1: that's well, yes, that's that's our next our next story is really uh, all about the the Renaissance in psychedelic research.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, this was major news, major, major news.
1: Yeah, we can we can talk about maps in in a little bit and and their contribution to this. But I just want to say personally, I have been going to psychedelic conferences for two decades now, two and a half decades. And the volume of research being presented this year at the conferences I went to, the Horizons and the Psychedemia conference, was amazing. I mean, it was almost too much to take in. There are so many new papers being published and so many new people getting into the fields. And so many people trying to find angles into the psychedelic research scene um, that are, you know, non-traditional, that, you know, don't require, you know, that are are graduate level uh, endeavors as opposed to being a Ph.D. or M.D. level kind of undertaking. So it's really it's really exciting uh, um, what's going on in, in the Renaissance, but mainly a lot of it is focused around this MDMA and PTSD study. Um, and if you go to the MAPS website, you can see, MAPS.org, um, that they're trying to lobby. Uh, what is it? Who are they lobbying? They're, the UN, maybe? To to agree to treat uh, veterans with uh, MDMA? I'm going to have to see. International research. Well, you can go to the MAPS website, MAPS.org. And they have, um, there's there's studies going on around the globe now uh, in this field. So the the results have been pretty amazing. Uh, People who are suffering from PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, ongoing anxiety-related pathologies uh, in response to, you know, being in a war zone or being shot at or, you know, uh, having seen, having to kill or see somebody be killed, um th- these are these are problems that have uh, resisted treatment uh, and they they're chronic and they tend to be lifelong and what they're seeing now in these MDMA trials is the same thing that they were seeing with the psilocybin trial which is that a single small dose or maybe a couple small doses uh separated by you know a few weeks is enough to bring PTSD symptoms down to manageable levels where people can actually talk about their experience and be open about their experiences without having the anxiety reactions that are associated with those experiences? So it's very, very, very promising, very promising.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look, PTSD is a very serious thing for a lot of of American veterans. I mean, we have generations of people who are who suffer from PTSD and <coughs> excuse me <coughs> the other you know i mean it's 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 too bad that this stuff wasn't around you know or, or this kind of research wasn't going on right after vietnam but i think that as more as as more success stories come out people are going to have to realize that there is value to it the question is you said they were lobbying the un right um, I, you
1: know, there was the pop-up that came up when I went to their website before that uh, that said uh, that directed me to a page, and now I can't find it, so I'm gonna have to go back. Because I mean, federal weeks.
0: and international drug policy is pretty strict. So the question is, even even within the medical context, are they going to accept that? Well, I mean, even if the research does show, um, I hope they do, but who knows? I
1: think they're going to have to. Well, you know how thick-headed to be. Eventually. I mean, if people are lobbying it and they want it, and it is a chronic problem, um, you know, the promise of MDMA has always been that it's going to solve all the world's problems. You know, you get all the world leaders in a room together on MDMA. You get Palestinians and, and, and Israelis together in a room and give them MDMA. You get the Crips and the Bloods and together in a room and give them MDMA. You give the, 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 the jail yard skinheads... And you know the gangs together in a room and give them MDMA, and those guys will be crying and hugging it out. You know, it's 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 a little bit magical that way. If you when you get people on MDMA together, it just sort of lets everything go. You know, all of these these preconceptions about who we are and why we put up barriers and etc. Um, all of that stuff just sort of melts away. Now. Can we actually put that into clinical use? Will the governments allow us to try to, you know, to do just on the very, 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 very smallest level? Hey, we have a soldier whose brain uh, is, is, is acting up because they've got trauma. They've got stress that they're trying to, to work out. All right, give them a little M.D.M.A. problem solved. I mean, it's, it's not that easy, but it's getting close to that easy. And if you can solve that problem with MDMA, what's the next problem we can solve with MDMA?
0: Right. What else can, you know, what else can can MDMA do? What other potential does not only MDMA have, but, you know, a variety of other psychedelic compounds? What are are the potentials there?
1: Yeah. And so just allowing researchers to explore the potentials for the first time in you know many decades three decades four decades since the since the mid 60s i think uh early 60s you know this new research is really showing promise so we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hope that more bright people get into it and uh that it that people start catching on because it you know it could it could change minds and it could change the world if you know if we go about it the correct way. It can save
0: the world, man. You know? Maybe
1: not save, no, but, but it can, you know def- I mean. psychedelics can definitely change the world. Absolutely. We've seen that, we've seen that through history. So and, and
0: we have, yeah. Um, let's,
1: let's figure out how to apply it in a positive way and make the change in a realistic, you know, sustainable
0: way. and realistic. Yeah, Exactly, so it's not just you know fan- a fanciful idea of those who think of utopia. But, uh, so this is this next
1: item is a little bit more of a non-story, but I consider it to be a very positive story.
0: Which is the war on drugs and touch—you uh, uh, wanted to touch on the bad drugs policy? Oh, tough on drugs. Oh, sorry, tough on drugs policy, not mentioned once at all in the presidential debates and primaries. Um, so you can go ahead and talk about that. You yeah,
1: so I was surprised. You know, this is—the war on drugs and the drug war rhetoric has been out of, I think, national politics— since, uh, you know, at least 9-11, 2001, when terrorism became at the forefront of, of, of all national policy. Um, but, you know, you don't hear politicians debating tough on drugs anymore. You don't hear politicians debating war on drugs anymore. Because I think both sides realize that it's a losing issue. And that the public will and support for that issue has pretty much vanished. Um, because everybody knows somebody who's had a drug problem. Everybody knows somebody who uses drugs to, you know, s- support their lifestyle. Everybody knows somebody who uses drugs recreationally every once in a while. Uh, you know, and everybody has probably tried a recreational drug at one point in their life, unless they're Amish or Mormon or, you know, another another community that, that is, you know, um, completely straight edge. So... I think the popular support for any kind of war on on your own citizenry based on the kind of drugs they consume for whatever reason is just a failed policy and it's and that's evident in the fact that no politicians bring it up anymore.
0: It is it's, a failed they, policy they don't want to
1: touch it. they it, don't want to touch it.
0: It's been a failed policy since they tried to you know since they started it. I mean, this whole idea that we're going to have a war on drugs—I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. But
1: yeah, I think I think everybody in politics understands
0: that now. Right, everybody knows that. Look, this is not a war that we can win. <laughs> and can't use it as a wedge issue anymore. No, because no, because nobody cares.
1: Cannot use, cannot use tough on drugs as a wedge issue because they're not going to get
0: support for that. No, because, because not as many people care. If anything, they're actually going to lose support. Exactly. So we that shows a change of in the
1: bellwether of public opinion. Absolutely, if politicians are are too scared to even mention it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree, and they are too afraid to mention it at this point. I mean, who talks about and that, drugs? Anymore? And that brings us to our uh, the best news on the list: voters approve marijuana decriminalization in Colorado and Washington. Democracy Trump's bad policy, which I agree. You know, look. I'll I'll say it now, and I'll be open about it. I'm a big fan of the uh, Athenian-style direct democracy. Uh, I I thought that the the that the concept there was great. I thought it was very successful, and uh, I'll say that uh, I'm very happy that the people of Colorado and Washington spoke out and legalized marijuana. I think it's a great thing, and you live in Washington, so.
1: Yes, I do, and um we've had medical marijuana here for at least a few years now, and it's in in Seattle city limits um prosecution of marijuana cases have been routinely thrown out for the last few years. It's been um the voters ruled at the lowest policing priority of all the civil and you know criminal penal code. So, policemen weren't arresting people, prosecutors weren't prosecuting people, and judges were throwing out cases. And, you know, legalization was just the next step, or decriminalization was just the next step. And that's what it is now. You can have up to an ounce legally. And, um, you know, it's not, as, it's not as amazing as a lot of people might think, because there is still an indoor smoking ban in Seattle. So, you can't light up a joint at your favorite coffee shop, for instance. You can't walk down the street with a joint. There's a, 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 a part of the law that says you can't open, smoke it in the open, you know, where people can see you. And, um, there are these, you know, driving wall high restrictions now that are a little, you know, people get, get upset because maybe it's, 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 you know, a new way for police to mess with you without cause. But all in all, I think it's, it's, you know, baby steps in the right direction. And, uh, People don't need to get so upset about marijuana anymore, because it's you know just it's it's been it's been
0: destigmatized. It has been destigmatized, and I'm glad. I mean, Jesus, they they found a, I think a four thousand year old shaman buried it with buried with it in one of the provinces in China. I mean, people have been using this stuff for thousands of years. Just 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 leave them alone for God's sake. You know, I mean, yeah, was, I, I mean, was, I mean, you know, look, and 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 here's the other thing, How – how far do you have a stick shoved up your ass that you care enough about whether or not somebody rolls a plant up into a piece of paper and smokes it in their house? I mean, I mean, come on.
1: Yes, it's it's it. it was bad policy to begin with. Uh, it was ridiculously enforced. Uh, the propaganda surrounding it was way overblown. And the, yeah, like the whole the reefer madness thing. The, the cra- yeah, the reefer madness thing. The crackdown in the '60s was just such hyped up backlash uh and you know everything that's gone on since has, has just made it worse i mean it's, the policies have just been getting worse and worse and worse and i feel that maybe you know i think the voters have had enough so any state where you can get a direct referendum on the ballot and you can sw- and you know and you know popular opinion is swinging this way change is just gonna you know it's just gonna boom 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 until the federal you know Obama said that they're not gonna step in to Washington and Colorado and start enforcing marijuana laws on a federal level. Uh it's the he's leaving it to the states to sort it out and deal with how deal with this issue the way that they see is fit. And uh you know, it's it seems crazy, but uh here we are, two thousand twelve and uh marijuana is legal.
0: We're living in a very interesting time, aren't we?
1: It is an interesting time. Never,
0: never before in human history have we had this must, this much technology, and have we had this much kind of. I, uh, I, I don't know. This, 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 this age that we're living in is unique because I mean, you know, even you know, the ancient world, right? That was supposed to be, um, you know, a c- a civilization. You know, the fall of civilization with the fall of Rome and so on, and uh, you know, but but they didn't have the technology that we have. They didn't have, you know. Here we have technology, and we're on the cusp. Of, uh, we're on the cusp, of, uh, cusp. Excuse me, of something totally new, and I'm not sure what it is, but it's it's going to be a very interesting journey. Well,
1: I think for a long time it was easy to fool people into believing that marijuana was quote unquote bad and would make you crazy.
0: Well, not just marijuana. I mean, just in general, with, with well, yeah, with, with drugs, propaganda, philosophically, and, proba- and you know everything.
1: Yeah, and um, as more people are, you know, tuned into the Internet and finding information from alternative sources, um, you know, including people that they know, their friends, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to enforce that propaganda and keep such a hard line uh, for everybody because there are so <laughs> many people. I mean, I think more percentage of the population now has tried a recreational drug than has not. So, I mean, just from a a strictly democratic, uh, if you took it as, you know, as all you're voting by your actions, the majority of people in America are open to trying recreational drugs um, beyond alcohol and tobacco, of course. And I don't think the government really has a good reason to not let them. So the change that we're talking about is going to have to be through this this direct action, this democracy style action where or or you know through through research and through you know people allowing the research to be done to show hey you know marijuana does actually you know help fight cancer in some cases and hey MDMA does actually help people get better in some cases. So just being able to make those cases and make those proofs and allow people to experiment safely I think is a step in the right direction, instead of you know prohibition and more, more and more generations of dangerous designer substitutes for drugs that are already illegal.
0: Well, who knows what the future will hold? But maybe your assessment is correct. You know, um, the only. So, go ahead. I was going to
1: say, well, that's it. That's it
0: for my yeah, list. That's, that's 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 everything we have this evening on uh, Dose Nation for you. Um i hope uh I hope everybody had a, a good holiday and i hope that everybody has a safe and happy new year uh, as i said uh, on new year's eve don't 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 drink and drive
1: yeah i mean just uh drink and stay where you're drinking
0: yeah exactly Or uh, you know and don't drink you know yeah or or don't drink do something do something different yeah do 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 something more interesting right have an odyssey of the mind the body and the soul um i don't know uh that can come in many forms. That could that could come in sitting in your bedroom reading a book and petting your cat if you have one. Uh true. You know, you know, I I had my friend tell me once just before we end the show. He he said, you know, man, he's like this is all I need. He's like, you know, I I I, I go home, he said I, I, I sit down, he's like, I pour myself a glass of wine, I have a drink, he's like, you know, I, I get a book, go on the internet for a little while, I pet the cat, you know, I Take, take a drink of wine, I stare at the cat, the cat stares at me, and then I just drink some more, and then, you know, he's like, I go lay down, he's like, and that's enough, you know? It's perfect. Sometimes that's all people need, you know?
1: Yeah, or they can go out and party until midnight. Yeah. And, and hopefully find someone to kiss. To kiss? Yeah, you know, on New Year's Eve, you're supposed to, you know, kiss somebody or something. Are you? Well, yeah, aren't you? I think so.
0: I, I wasn't aware of that.
1: Yeah, that's why you don't you don't go to a New Year's Eve party single. Or you have to find somebody to kiss by midnight. Otherwise, everybody's going to kiss and you're going to be there by yourself.
0: Just a tip, I,
1: folks. I, I,
0: wow. That tells you how far out of the loop I am. <laughs> so, All right. Well, uh, my phone is ringing, actually, so, right. uh, which, is, which, is, which is the cue that the show must end. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining us on Dose Nation Episode 2. I'm your host, Jay Kettle. Of course, my co-host, James Kent, and founder of Dose Nation.
1: You can find us on com or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash And you can uh, suggest ideas for stories and podcasts that you'd like to hear in the future.
0: Yeah, please please do that. And uh, if you want to send us an email, contact at Nation, uh for any kind of suggestions or if you want to tell us something about the show. And uh, you know, as I said, for next week on air, it's questions at com. if you want to ask us any questions. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next week at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, there might be a special coming up, so keep your eyes open for that. I'm not going to say anything more than that, but there might be a special coming up uh, this this week. We're not sure yet, but keep your eyes open. So, Thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, have a uh, safe holiday, and uh, I'll see you all next week. Take care, everyone. Have a good night.